0: Good morning, church. It is good to be with all of you here this Lord's Day morning. I'd just like to thank Pastor Brian as well as the elders for giving me the opportunity to bring the Word of God to bear on our minds and our hearts this morning. It truly is a joy. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. That is where we will be this morning in the Word of God. Philippians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 14 through 16, and what the Word has to say on biblical unity. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Paul says in verse 14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach, In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor nor toil in vain. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, I ask that you would be with us, that you would Guide our hearts and our minds and direct them towards your dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would teach us what biblical unity means today in ways that would be unforgettable. All for your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In verses 14 through 16, Paul is continuing his exhortation to the Philippian church. And if we were to sum up Paul's reason to write this letter, it is because he is concerned for the church's unity, that the church would be unified in the truth, that they would do what the word of God says. Collectively, as the body of Christ, we are to be unified in how we think. We are to be unified in what we believe, and we are to be unified in what we do, which is to all be guided by scripture. As we looked at last time in verses 12 through 13, we looked at biblical obedience and we saw that belief and obedience are inseparable. Where there is true saving faith, you will find obedience to the word of God. It's both sides of the same coin, the heads and tails of the same coin, if you will. Faith and obedience are two different things, but yet they are inseparable. Where there is true saving faith, where someone has truly come to Christ, there will be obedience to his word. There will be obedience to the gospel command summed up in one word, repentance. A true believer will be repentant. The idea of Easy believism that all I have to do is believe and not obey that repentance is a filthy word, a dirty word. That is a lie from the devil and it is not the true gospel. And sadly, many have said, oh, by saying I must repent to be saved, you're therefore adding works to the gospel. And that's not the gospel because no man can be saved by works, right? But that understanding is a twisted view of Scripture to fulfill man's default desire to be rebellious to God and be dis- disobedient to his word. It is that view that suffocates the gospel. Where there is true saving faith, there will be obedience to Christ. And for review, you could go look at Mark 1:15. Our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, calls people to repent. And believe. First Peter one four, the Peter exhorts us to be obedient children, not conform to sin. James chapter one, twenty two through twenty four, we're to be obedient doers of the word. James two, fourteen through twenty six. If you say you have faith, if you say you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, yet your life has nothing to show for it, then your faith is dead. In other words, you, you've never you never had true saving faith to begin with. And to that end, I better stop now before I start re-preaching the sermon I did last time. But the reason I bring all that up is to help us in our understanding of where we're at in this point in Philippians. We are to be obedient. It's a shut and closed case for the believer in Christ. Individually, as believers, and collectively as the body of Christ. In being obedient... We are to be unified in everything that we do. And that's all what this letter is about, being unified, being unified. How we get that unity and how we maintain our unity, which is what we'll be looking at today in verses 14 through 16. We will be looking at the demands, the motives, and the means for unity. But before we look at the, ma- the demands for unity, we must diagnose The problem, because there is a problem. Nobody in their right mind today would say, oh, yeah, I want to be disunified. I want to be dysfunctional. I don't want to I don't want to be unified in the truth. Nobody would say that. But that begs the question, then why are there so many disunified and dysfunctional churches in our society today? Why are so many churches disunified? Because true unity is not found by compromise, but true unity is found by obedience to God's word. That's the issue that the majority of churches today are just flat out disobedient. They don't want to obey the word of God. Why? Why don't they want to obey? Because when you're obedient to God's word, it costs you something to be obedient to what Christ has commanded, it costs you something, does it not? In fact, it costs you everything. Because it starts with salvation. Unity starts with salvation. You cannot be a unified church. You can't be part of this unified group Paul talks about till you're saved. And to be obedient, it's going to cost you. And it all starts with salvation. No one comes to Christ in repentance and faith holding on to anything. You may not lose your job. You may not lose your family or your friends, but that certainly may be a part of it. You cannot come to Christ holding on to anything. Our Lord in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, he says, If you're not willing to hate your father or your mother, or your brother, or your sister, yes, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. You have to be willing to give up everything to follow Christ, because it costs you something to be obedient to him. Later on in Philippians, Philippians 3, 7 through 8, Paul talks about how he had it all. In fact, I'll just go ahead and read it. Philippians 3, 7 through 8, he said, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Let me remind you that Paul is not in a holiday inn in this letter. He's in a prison writing to the Philippian church. It cost Paul something to follow Christ as it does for all of us. Starts with salvation. So at the very fundamental level, unity starts with salvation. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you forsaken everything to follow Christ? And consequently, then, having been born again, having been changed, having been saved. We are to be obedient and do what Christ has commanded us to do. Romans 6. 16 through 18, Paul says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves as to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart. To that form of teaching to which you were committed and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So see where there are true believers who have been freed from sin. They are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves of righteousness. There you will find those who are obedient to God's word from the heart, Paul says, to do what God commands, not out of obligation, but from the heart, because it's your heart's desire. Why? Because God has changed her heart. And when the church is obedient from the heart, they function like nothing else in this world. You see, the church is not a business. The church is not some kind of glorified country club. The church is not supposed to be this consumeristic Market of sorts, offering emotional highs and promises that can't be fulfilled. Sadly, though, the world would see churches like that. The world sees the church like that. Oh, they're just a business. They're just a, a country club. And sadly, they'd be right to see a lot of them that way because that's exactly what they are. They are nothing more than a country club. They are nothing more than... A business, quite simply because they're unbiblical, because they're disobedient. A lot of churches are like that. And what the church as a whole has become is a far cry away from what God has commanded us to be in Scripture. And hear me, Colonial is not like this. But I have been a part of churches like this. And I'd be willing to bet that many of you have seen churches or been a part of churches like this in your life. The reason why so many churches. Have become. Like this. Is because of their disobedience. To the word. Instead of being obedient. To the word. They want to accommodate. Their fleshly desires. Second Timothy four three, Paul says that in the last days. They will. Not want to hear sound teaching. But they will heap up. For themselves, teachers to fit their fleshly desires, yes. They do everything to appeal to the fallen world. They tell people, sinners, what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Sermons, the exposition of God's word is replaced with comedic sketches and pep talks. Reverence is replaced with light shows and rock concerts. No honor is given to Christ. The Lord is watered down to just your co-pilot or your homie. Or as one false teacher said recently in the past weeks, Jesus is making me have a crush on him as if he's your boyfriend. Gross irreverence to the Lord. And churches are buying into this garbage in droves. What is clear then is that the church, to them, is all about comforting the sinner rather than confronting the sinner. Yes, church becomes whatever you want it to be rather than pointing people to the true biblical gospel and exalting Christ. Church then is all about you. And so to keep you coming to church, we'll preach less. In fact, we'll not preach at all. We'll just tug on your emotions for a little bit. We'll just sing ridiculous music with words so vague and ushy-gushy, I could be singing about my love for my dog. No talk about sin. No talk about judgment. No talk about eternity. No talk about sanctification. We'll do whatever you want to keep you here. Programs, you got it. 15-minute emotional Pep talks, you got it. Dim the lights and make the atmosphere feel like a club. You got it. The church becomes all about fitting people's desires rather than conforming to what the Bible says. And when the church looks like this, when the church is disobedient and looks like this, you end up with an unthankful, dysfunctional, discontent, and disunified church think about it that's the kind of people that make up this world that was all of us before we came to Christ dysfunctional disunified selfish hating ungrateful always fighting one another and when the church accommodates and tolerates that sort of of filth and garbage and makes the church look more like the world, then the consequences is that the church j- becomes just like the world. They're not a church anymore. They become non edifying, unloving, hateful, selfish, and disunified. But this is all done under the guise of unity. Oh, we're unified, but it is false unity. You cannot attain unity by compromise. That is false unity. You cannot attain unity by letting the world in, thinking, oh, we'll win them over. No, they won't. They will end up running you over and running you. You cannot join hands with the world and expect God to bless you. James 4.4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If you want to be friends with the world, if you want to let the world into church, then be prepared for God to be your enemy. And I know who's winning. It's not that church. Unity cannot be attained by compromise. But what we have here, Philippians 14 through 16 is a picture of biblical unity, what the church ought to look like, how we are to be unified. And first, we'll look at the demands of unity. Verse 14, Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Again, Paul is not addressing here one specific Christian, but the church as a whole as the body of Christ, we are to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, let me ask you a question real quick. What is all things? I'll give you a hint. The answer is it, is it rhymes with all things. All things is all things. We are to do everything without grumbling or disputing disputing. But more specifically, Paul is referring to what he said in verses 3 through 4 of chapter 2. We have to take this as one whole piece. So if you want to look at verses 3 through 4 of chapter 2, Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not Merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is what we are to do. Everything we do, collectively and individually, we are to do it humbly, with humility. Nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, pridefulness, but with humility of mind. He says, regard one another As more important than yourself. You know what that means? It means that you are to be the least important person in your life. You're to regard others more important than you. What an amazing thing that is. When the church comes together and everyone looks at other people more important than themselves. That their concern is with fitting other people's needs rather than yourselves. And then you may be asking, okay, well, who's going to fit my need? Well, somebody will, because if the church is doing what the church is supposed to be doing and they're looking at other people more important than themselves, then they're going to be taking care of other people's needs. And you get what I'm saying? That's what Paul says we are to do. Regard others more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is what we are to do without grumbling. And without disputing. Either to yourself in your heart and in your mind, or to others, or to God. All of it is to be done without grumbling or disputing. Philippians two one. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. There it is, unity, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Is Paul really questioning here in Philippians 2.1, if you have received any encouragement in Christ? More so, the correct reading here would be since there is encouragement in Christ. Do we not have encouragement in Christ? Has Christ not encouraged you at all? The very Son of God? who came down to this earth, who humbled himself and died for you, bearing your sin on the cross, is that not encouraging to you? Is that not enough encouragement to you? If there is any consolation of love, do you have any comfort from the love that God has showed you through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Any fellowship with the spirit? We have more Than what we could ever fathom. In Christ. In the spirit. Therefore. Do all of these things. Without grumbling. Or disputing. There are no grounds for grumbling. And disputing when you. Come to realize everything that God has done. For you. Christ has given us everything. He gave his life. It reminds me of that hymn, Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? What more could he give? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has given us his Holy Spirit as a seal, he has given us his word. We have everything. Paul just gives us in verses 5 through 12 of Philippians chapter 2 Christ's humility, his humiliation. And his exaltation. There's no reason to grumble or dispute over anything God has commanded us to do. When you realize everything that God has given us. Not because he had to. But because he loves you. Because he wants to. Christ has blessed us so abundantly beyond our comprehension. We have the Holy Spirit residing in us. Who has sealed us? Christ suffered, bore God's wrath in your place. So, unity, so, excuse me, so until you become Christ and suffer to the extent that He has, don't complain. Don't grumble. Don't dispute. It amazes me how often I see people. Or churches who profess Christ, who claim to know him, who claim to have been changed by him, and yet show no change at all. All they do is grumble. All they do is dispute about everything. How many churches look like this? A lot. A lot of them do. I've been a part of them. A lot of you have probably been a part of them at one point in your life. I mean, I know of a church right now who just had a mass exodus of people. I would say probably over half, like 65% of the church just went up, just got up and left for unbiblical reasons. A lot of it had to do with people grumbling and disputing and not wanting to be obedient to Scripture. They wanted to be like the world. And thankfully, by God's grace, he's sustained the godly men that have been leading that church. But all those other people that left nearly destroyed the church because of their gross indifference to God's word, because of their grumbling and disputing. If I were on the outside world, if I were an unbeliever looking in at the church as a whole, I wouldn't want to be a part of the church, seeing how so many churches fight and dispute and grumble seeing how they operate. The world is already in mass chaos and confusion, is it not? So I definitely wouldn't want to be a part of a system where all they do is fight, gripe, and complain. There's plenty of that going on in our world and other places. If I were an unbeliever, I wouldn't want to serve a God whose followers gripe and grumble and dispute and bicker and backbite over everything. What kind of God is that? God that they serve, where all they do is fight. Why do they do that? Why do they grumble? Why do they fight? Because they're disunified, because they're dysfunctional, because they're they're like the world. They want to fulfill their desires. And so until they get what they want, be it social status or money, authority, whatever, they'll grumble in dispute and to be truthful those that exude this behavior those whose life is marked by these characteristics do not serve the god of the bible they serve god of their own making and paul makes that clear in philippians 3:18 through 19 he tells us he says for many walk of whom i often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies Of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. There are many like this in churches today. Men who serve the God of their own making don't serve the God of the Bible, wanting wanting to fill their desires. They become enemies Of the cross of Christ. Brothers and sisters. We are to do all things. Without grumbling. Or disputing. That is the demands. Do all things. Serving the church. Thinking of others more important than yourself. Not being selfish or conceited or prideful. But with everything. You do it with humility. As well with everything else. We're commanded in scripture to do. You do it all without grumbling. Or. Disputing. Why? Why do we do this? Well, Paul tells us, verse 15 of chapter 2, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Now we have come from the demands. Now we see the motives for unity. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. The reason we do this is so that we prove to ourselves to be blameless innocent above reproach blameless what does that word mean what does blameless mean it means to be free from fault it's a high task blameless we are to be free from fault nothing negative could be said about your life that's in contradiction to god's word and nothing could be said of your conduct as a believer, that would contradict the word of God, that would contradict the life that should characterize a believer. You are to be blameless, free from fault. Your life, how you live before the world should be free from fault, should be blameless. The next word Paul uses is innocent. And it's good to note here that Paul just didn't pull out a thesaurus to try to find some some synonyms to make a word count, to make the word count for his letter. Paul was very particular about the word he chose here. And excuse me while I go seminary on you for a moment. I am in seminary, so I'm geeking out over this stuff. But the Greek word that he uses there for innocent comes from a Greek word, ikarios, which literally means unmixed, unadulterated, pure, Speaking of the inward sense, the heart. So not only are you to be blameless in your conduct, seen and unseen, you are to be unadulterated, pure on the inside, innocent. So referring to the inner self, who you are on the inside, only what you and the Lord know. This is who we are to be, so that you will prove yourself blameless, free from fault that your conduct would be pure, seen and unseen, what goes on inside your heart, what you think, your desires, who you are on the inside. And above reproach, he says later on in the verse, encompassing both blameless and innocence. The life we are to live as believers in Christ should be holy and righteous, inwardly and outwardly, In obedience to Christ as proof, Paul says, to ourselves. And before God and man that we belong to him. So that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God. Proof to yourself. Proof to God, proof to man that you belong to him above reproach. He says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, this is who we are to be. The world we live in is crooked and perverse, if you haven't noticed. It was crooked and perverse then, and it is just as bad now, if not getting worse. In the language Paul is using here in the Greek, he's referring to the moral corruption of a society. They are morally corrupt people. They are morally perverse and crooked. The church is to be blameless and innocent of these moral corruptions. That's why we're not to be like the world. And you would all say, yes, amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you would also be surprised at how many professing believers are just as corrupt as this world. I don't know if you're on social media a lot or not. And if you're not, that's okay. Stay off. You're really not missing much. But there are people all over social media. Christians. Christians. Fighting whether or not abortion should be legal or not. There are Christians fighting whether homosexuality should be accepted in the church or whether, well, I, I'm not acting on it, but the, but the desires, the, 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 the desires aren't sinful, right? They're professing people who, who, who profess to know Christ, arguing over these things. It's, it's dumbfounding. And to give you just a little bit of evidence for that. The, P- the Pew Research Center surveyed a few tens of thousands of Christians and asked if abortion should be illegal or not. should be legal or not. Of the some 25,000 Christians that were surveyed Christians, 45 percent believe it should be legal. Abortion, moral corruption. They believe it should be legal. don't know, aren't really sure. Another study asked if homosexuality should be accepted in the church. 54% said yes. And for transparency's sake, I'll just go ahead and tell you, the study done on homosexuality was done back in 2015. But if I were to venture a guess, I would say that it's probably not any better. And if this is the case with homosexuality and abortion, then how serious do you think these Christians take the the lesser sins? Sex outside of marriage, pornography, you name it. Brothers and sisters, we do not accept sin of any kind. It doesn't mean that we don't give those people the truth. We do give them the truth. It doesn't mean that we're unloving because we are to love them. And my desire is that they would come to Christ. But that doesn't mean we accept them and say, okay, we're unified. No, that is false unity. You cannot make compromise with the world. Paul says, among whom you appear as lights. We are to be lights. We are to be different. I've heard people say, well, you got to reach the world somehow. You got to bring them in somehow. You know how you do it, you just be obedient to the word of God. It's that simple. God never tells us to lessen the message, to become pragmatic or to make his word more palatable for the sinner in hopes that they'll accept it. Folks, it's up to God whether they come to Him or not. We're just called to be faithful to the truth. That is true unity, faithfulness, and obedience to the Word. And to that end, if you are a true child of God, how could you be okay with being like the world? James 4.4, if, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Could that be any more clearer? When you have churches that are okay and gladly, openly joining hands with this crook and perverse world and let darkness and suffice it to say that they probably do not know God. The vast majority of them do not. The church then at that point loses all their credibility and all their influence. Somehow they think by joining hands with the world that they'll eventually win them over when the reality is is that the world takes over them. We do not need to look anything like this world The last thing a lost and dying world needs to see is to look at the church or any believer and think, oh, they're just like me. That is the last thing. We don't sink down to that level to try to reach them. We reach them by exposing them to the truth of the gospel. That is what it means to be lights, among whom you appear as lights. It reminds me of that children's song. Mariah and I, we have a baby on the way. And she was like, I wonder what songs, what children's songs we're going to teach our kid. And then she said something about this little light of mine. And, you know, my mind is in sermon mode. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. It kind of irritated me. Because the light we have is not little. The light we have is the gospel, which is the power of God into salvation. That's what changes people. That's how we reach people. The light we have, the light we are shining is not little. The light we have is the gospel. And Paul here uses a word that refers to stars when he says lights, among whom you appear as lights. He Using a word that refers to stars or illuminaries. Stars do not have this on and off switch. Okay, I'm going to shine light now. Okay, I'm going to turn it off. Okay, I'm going to shine light now. Okay, I'm going to turn it off. That's not how stars work, right? Stars just shine because that's what they were created to do. They give off light. And Paul is not like mistaken here. And when he compares us to lights, If we're true believers in Christ, we should be. Shining light. It's not something, oh, I'm going to, you know, turn off the light now. Okay, I'm going to turn it on now. We, we, we shine because that's who we are. God changed us. He created us to be lights. That's how we should be. That's who we are to be. We're to be like stars. I've used this analogy before. Some of you know it like those LED lights that everybody's putting on their trucks. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're driving down. The highway, and just like this white, blinding light. When you see it, why? I, I hate those lights. Is that just me? I. It exposes you. Yes. We're to look different in that way, and a lot of you, I think, we're thinking in your mind. Yes, I hate those lights. They make me uncomfortable. And you're exactly right to say that because now now you're getting the point that I'm illustrating. We are to look different in that way. We are to be lights shining. Someone looks at your life, there's something different about them. Why don't they do the things I do? Why don't they talk the way I talk? Why don't they look like me? Just to give you another illustration. And I I really don't like to use illustrations from my life because most of them are just illustrations of what not to do, and they're just embarrassing. But I will give you this illustration. Uh, So before I came here, as most of you know, I used to work in the oil field. And there was a guy when he found out I was a Christian, he you know, and, and it didn't happen by him asking me if I was a Christian. It just happened through... Through conversation, he asked why I don't go to parties with them. He asked why, you know, I, 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 I don't cuss or why I, you know, don't cheat on my wife. Stuff like that. I was like, oh well, I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian. And oh, from that point on, you know, any 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 conversation there wasn't even really a conversation. I couldn't really carry a conversation with the guy. Anytime he saw me, he kind of like took off in, in the other direction and somehow like found work to do around the shop. And there was one day I was told I had to get up really early and, and take this guy to a to a, to a job location. And it was like 30 minutes away. And, uh, you know, part of my job was, you know, driving a lot. So I always listened to sermons and such. And uh, we get in the truck, and I just did what I always did. I, I turned on a sermon, you know, so who is it today? You know, I just, you know, picked out some MacArthur sermon. And uh, I asked him, I was like, do you mind if I play a sermon? And he was just going, yeah, yeah, you know. Just really wouldn't talk to me. And I start playing this MacArthur sermon, and I could visibly tell he was getting uncomfortable. You know, and, and the sermon I played, I, I didn't, it was just a random one, but it happened to be preaching, you know, on sin and salvation and repentance, and this guy just couldn't sit still. And by the time we got to the location, by the time I'm putting the truck in park, I look over to say goodbye, and he's already out of the truck. He couldn't stand being around truth because it exposed him it made him uncomfortable it exposed him to his sin every time we talked someone should be able to look at your life and see that you're different that you're not like them that you're blameless and innocent above reproach the world shouldn't be comfortable with you. And I'm not telling you to go out of your way and and make people uncomfortable. And that illustration I used, there's nothing special about me. That was just the Word doing its work. But we're we're to be different. Matthew 5.16, you don't have to turn there, but just listen. Our Lord is talking to the disciples, Matthew 5.16 or excuse me, back up. I'll start in verse 14. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are inside the house. Here it is, verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are to be lights. We are to shine light. That's the... That's the motives. We've seen the demands. We're to do everything, everything, without grumbling or disputing. We've seen the motives so that we can prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent in the midst of a crook, perverse generation among whom we are to appear as lights. Now we get to the means. How we do this? How do we do this? How, how are we able to do this? How do we stay as shining lights in the darkness all around us? How do we stay above reproach, blameless, and innocent? Verse 16, holding fast the word of life. You do it no other way than by holding fast to the word of life. The word of God. Everything in this book. You are to hold fast to the scriptures. As Tom Askell has said recently, we have a book. We have a book. Meaning, we have everything we need in this book. That the scriptures are sufficient for everything. We don't need anything else, brothers and sisters. The word is enough. God's word is more than enough. It is sufficient for everything. We do not need to become pragmatic to reach the world. We do not need celebrities, rock concerts, or anything worldly to make a difference. And I'm tired of hearing people say that. God doesn't need a celebrity to further his truth, to build his church. God does not need you to put on a rock concert or a comedic sketch to reach people. He needs you to be obedient and faithful to his word. That's how you reach people. And that's how we maintain our unity. Not by becoming worldly, but by holding fast to the word of life. And our lives will make all the difference as we live holy lives as light shining in a dying world. That makes the difference. The difference is not made by you becoming worldly. The difference is made by you being blameless and innocent, above reproach, holding fast to the word of life. It has been often said, and I can't really think of who said it right now, but it has been often said that sometimes you are the only Bible people ever read. So what are they reading? What do they see? Are we going to be a worldly church or are we going to be unified in obedience to the Bible? Where you have a church that does not hold fast to God's word but peddle it, mock it, disobey it, abuse it, is where you have grumblers and disputers. You create a church that is dysfunctional and disunified and ultimately a church that becomes an enemy of God. A church that does not shine forth the word of God, but is as black and as dark as this world. Those are devastating consequences, are they not? If we don't obey God, we must obey him. Those who know and love Christ, love his word. Because it is everything. It is sufficient For all things, real quickly, if I could just read these familiar words to you, I'm pretty sure they will resonate with many of you. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true; they are righteous altogether. they are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward psalm nineteen seven through eleven This is the Word of God. It is sufficient for all things. And if we are to go on being unified, not grumbling and disputing, if we are to be blameless and innocent, above reproach, shining as lights, we are to do it by holding fast to this word, not by becoming pragmatic, but by being obedient to everything God tells us to do. May we individually and collectively be unified in everything that we do. This world is getting worse, yes, but Christ is coming soon, and it will all pass away. May we continue to be faithful to his word, blameless and innocent for the glory of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.